ladies and gentlemen and variations thereof, welcome to the Selectives Lorecast, a casual Elder Scrolls podcast. My name is Rotten Deadite, and with me today is... I am James, also known as Aramithius, for and, now. Uh, yeah, we, we, we were hoping for Felix later in the afternoon, but um, he might be we'll late. Uh, yeah. And uh, today we are discussing Sermon 23. Three. Yes. Sermon 23, the title of this channel is incorrect. Hold on. Yes. <laughs> title... Sermon 23. There we go. We're prepared, folks. Uh, false. Uh, yeah. well, well, Sermon 23 is the scripture of the sword, and it's actually, it might not be that long an episode today because this yep. is, this one's fairly straightforward. Um, as far as it goes. And, uh, yeah, as far as, as far as sermons go. Yeah. Um, and there's just, I mean, the, the trick with Sermon 23 is, it's sort of like for me. It was sort of like a a um, a, a, a midterm exam, where where the, where your teacher is trying to make sure that you understand all the terminology and the symbols, um, <laughs> because from here uh, things start to really kind of get worse. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, vigilant. Yes, I'm sorry. They're, they're discussing uh, um, Skyrim mods in chat right now and uh, vigilant just came up. I just watched somebody complete that. And, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, that's a very long, uh, very complex quest. And it, uh, 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 James, have you seen, uh, have you seen, uh, and, or uh, do you know anything about vigilant? Nope. Nope. It's nothing at all. It's sort of like somebody wanted to do like dark souls and Skyrim. Oh, wow. And so they created an entirely hmm. new world space. Uh-huh. That is supposed to be Molag Ball's heretical version of the Imperial City. <laughs> After or before it's been devastated by the uh, Alessian Order. Right. But it's hard to say because it's all like post-apocalyptic looking and yeah, so on. And, um, and so the lore for it is very grim and violent. And deviates significantly from Elder Scrolls in some places, um, but it is fun to play for deep lore nerds because the, that guy brings out some names from characters that are mentioned once in passing in a tiny sentence somewhere. And uh, nice, yeah, mm. yeah. The fourth vigilant chapter play, takes place in Cold Harbor. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's it's someone doing Enderall, but for another, but for an Elder Scrolls setting, basically. Kind of. Enderal was more complex than Vigilant was. Vigilant was mostly about the mm. combat. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but there was a lot of storyline, and it was very... Yeah, it is hard to say. Yeah, Daedra don't perceive time like we do. That is good. That is accurate. So it's possible that this could be Molag Ball's opinion of what's actually happening currently in in the fourth era, in which case he's way off base. But um, Or it's actually a crossover with the Siege of the Imperial City in ESO. Yeah, it could be. That would be my other thought. Um, you do get to fight Pelinal, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 kind of all over the place. It's very hard wow. to it. The game base the uh, vigilant basically outright states that you're a Shazarine, that the Dragonborn is a is a uh yep. a, a which is well, you, in, you can make the argument. Yeah, I I made the argument constantly while I was playing mm. it. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, good good mod, really good mod, but um, tough. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh so sermon 23 <laughs> uh is uh 
uh, it will take well. No, it's noteworthy to take th- that it takes place after Sermon Twenty Two, where uh, Vivek obtains the Treasurewood Sword, and we talked about this in the previous episode, where the 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 nature of the Treasurewood Sword as a lessening song is, uh, uh, yeah, Hendris for yeah, I agree. But but uh, the the sword uh, the, as a the Treasurewood Sword as a lessening song, we talked about what it might be teaching, uh, people in, uh. House Mora, I think, is where it was being used. Yes. And uh, the answer, if, according if, if if Sermon 23 is that, is the answer to that, the answer is apparently one of those six walking ways. Um, yep. Specifically the second one, I think. Uh, and yes, the second walking way. And it is a, uh, we'll, we'll cover it as we get mm-hmm. to it, but let's, let's just, yeah. Let's just start with the thing. The sword treated yes. as a delicate meal is the symbolic collage. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, it, immediately the a delicate. So when this actually comes into, this is a, a, a metaphor that gets used a few times in the, in the 36 lessons, the idea of eating something carefully. Yes. Uh, and that I, I'm pretty sure is what the, deli- the first time I read the words delicate meal, what I thought was, was a, very carefully prepared, elaborate, um, like a uh, uh, meal that you must eat delicately uh, because it's so, uh, you know, uh, rich and um, structurally unstable. I guess you know it's like going to one of those uh, one of those <laughs> yeah. gast- gastronomy uh, restaurants where they they give you like a little piece of meat and then suspend a cloud of uh, bubbles over it. And uh, as the bubbles burst, it's the, actually the sauce that then drips onto the, you know, the meat or something. And you're supposed yeah. to eat it very carefully and then like wave the meat through the bubbles to get the sauce or something. And it's like uh, and and you're you're just sitting here thinking, like, why? Why am I doing this? <laughs> why did I pay ninety dollars for this for this piece of meat? Um, yeah. yeah you've or, seen the menu. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or that, um, or I was my immediate thought was someone's trying to serve up blowfish. Uh, that oh. it's the kind of thing you have to eat carefully, or it will kill you. And that is actually where I think we're coming from here. Yeah, I think the idea. There, there's a, a, a phrase in a previous lesson I think about um, words being so sharp that they must be eaten carefully, uh, sharp like razored, you know, like razors. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's a little bit difficult to say exactly what um, what that's supposed to translate to, but I think in this particular usage, delicate meal is supposed to. It, it, we're, we're we're back to the idea of eating in the thirty six lessons and biting and yes. eating the idea of co- the consumption of a concept. And so, yes. if what Vivek is saying here is that the sermon of the sword or the sword as a symbol must be consumed or absorbed very carefully um and because it's dangerous and the symbolic collage which vivek is what vivek calls it is a collection of symbols arranged so that they can become art um and an artist often utilizes a collage to unite a sometimes unrelated collection of objects into a central theme Using this technique, meaning can be suggested when the viewer thinks about the relationships between the objects in the collage. Oh, that's interesting. Because just building off that, it's a kind of a common, almost a commentary on the reasons for war. Is how mm-hmm. I'm sort of spinning it. Because okay. you would have to sort of, in order to 
in order to go to war, you have to persuade in, um, various different people to um, to go along with the idea, for which you have different reasons. It could be something like, oh, this will get us wealth. This will allow mm-hmm. us to pay back a grievance that happened 150 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. And or, or it's a case of we must do this for a just world to prevail, sure. whatever sort of justifications you can kind of pull together. Mm-hmm. It's, and and then, but all of those are symbols in and of themselves, kind of justice, the idea of the nation. Truth and yeah, glory, revenge and yeah, all of glo- this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, the, and the sword can represent all of those things to different people, depending on the context in which you use it. So right, and it can take those things and unite them together in order yeah. to create this, and that and that leads us into. I've got, that's great because that's going to segue yes. into the like later content here. Yeah, but I and also it also and it also kind of um just to, um I, this I've been, I've just been watching the boys, so Nazis are on the mind. Sure. Um, uh, the idea of kind of more idealistically wrapped war around kind of who we are and who they are and all that sort of thing is much more symbolically rich than other types of war generally okay. because it kind of plays into constructed identities and so on and the that kind of melange of symbols um i, I don't know whether there's any mileage around thinking about the delicate meal of kind of we ate it to become it yes being something in there mm-hmm. because well i i think that i don't know necessarily if Kirkbride at all are um necessarily referencing the same thing when they use those phrases um mm. but i think they are by accident uh yeah. and they might be doing it on purpose it would not surprise me honestly if they were um but they i do think that the idea of we ate it to become it is very much like i think it speaks to in terms of things like the absorption of culture i should mention yeah. my uh my opinion of that we aided to become it happens to be t- dramatically twisted by like way okay so like way 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 back many many years ago in uh uh in the memo spore IRC we were planning on doing a LARP with Kirkbride to to uh, rewrite the creation of uh, T Perceptum. Oh wow! And I had been elected to play Zurin Arctus, the battle mage, and. Uh, myself and a couple of other people in the IRC channel were kind of spitballing how we were going to change the character up. And one thing we came up with was the, was like this idea that Zern Arctus was actually a Tsaisi, uh sorcerer, a vampire, <laughs> a vampire yeah. uh, serpent. And so the idea was that we ate it to become it was a vampire idea of eating your victim and then turning into them yeah but what it was was is an absorption of that person's essence but also their memory and their culture and everything so that you become this being uh and what we were going to try to do what i was going to try to do is try to have zirin arctus kill hilti early beard and then eat him to become him <laughs> and yeah that was that was gonna how that was gonna be how i re- tried to rewrite the thing yeah uh, that zirin arctus that's- is actually a goblin <laughs> Mm. (laughs) 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 Um, so uh, I would also like to point out that if the symbolic collage is used to teach people it is also technically a symbolic college yes Uh, and that's a free dad joke for today so (laughs) yeah it serves you well in the first half of life all right now this is a giant comment in the new whirling school it's big as shit because uh 
Uh, okay, everybody get ready okay. to mark it off. Uh, okay. So in The Structure and Dynamics of the Psyche by Carl Jung. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Selective Zorecast. Yeah. Uh, Carl Jung suggests that a person's life is divided into two halves. I've talked about this before on this cast. The mm-hmm. first half is spent building your sense of personal identity, importance, and safety. It requires a break from support systems to build a sense of independence, the completion of trials or the passing of tests in order to build a sense of accomplishment and the defeats of threats to build a sense of self-reliance and security in the framework of the hero's mm-hmm. journey, which Jung always fucking fell back on the uh, th- it's what c- what's called the adventuring phase, which is where the hero leaves home and tests his ability against the dangers of the world. This is in the, if you're into the hero uh, into the fool's journey in the tarot, this is a sort of like a combination of uh, the, uh, the strength card and the chariot and um, a couple other, uh, like, I think one other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the development and enablement of the ego. So this is yes. literally as you begin to, dis- to, I- to create a personal identity, which separates yes. you from everyone else. And what does the sword do? Well, the sword cuts things. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, <laughs> so the second half begins when a person realizes that their heroic and powerful ego that they display to the world is only the exterior or container of their self, which is much deeper, flawed, and still vulnerable. This person realizes that money, accomplishments, and health are not nearly as important as the satisfaction of the soul. To this end, the ego changes roles and works in service to the true self, to the soul, and brings about a sense of inner peace. So we often see this transition in myths and tales of proud warriors who one day break their swords and retire from the world of adventure, retreating to the mountains or the woods to meditate or work in service to a higher power. Um, Anybody who uh, watched the unfortunate resolution of Luke Skywalker's character will know where I'm coming from. Uh, (laughs) These characters are often perceived as being grounded and humble, even if they still retain a, a great ability of whatever they had. Uh, the power of mythology tells us subliminally that these people are more than just capable fighters. These characters are in some way enlightened. Yes, uh, and it's why you always get things like the story of George Washington, who wanted to just go, uh, who wanted to just retire and grow cabbages or whatever right. it was. Yeah, and there's yeah. another one. There's another Roman that did the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I want to say, I want to say, <clears> was it not Cincinnatus? Uh, oh, I, I'm doing a complete brain fail. Um, but there was one of the consuls. Um, that just retired to become a farmer, and he got—he just got constantly got dragged back into being involved with Roman politics, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he ostensibly didn't want to. Yeah. And there's that there's, there's that sort of repeating motif for any sort of cultural hero who mm-hmm. does really well and then puts things down. Yeah, uh, it's the kind of they know when to quit sort of thing. Yeah, and or or they've decided that um they've they've discovered some secret of warfare that makes it ugly or hideous, which makes them smarter than other younger warriors, or they've yes. discovered a secret of life that makes that makes all warfare irrelevant and pointless. And so they've you know, but again, that that the idea is that they've retired from you know, they've to use a Busia phrase, they've retired from the Zhanghu because they no longer um because they've discovered something about themselves or about the world around them that makes them wise and smarter, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, just to clarify this, um, <laughs> some bits going on in the chat about when the hero's journey happened versus Jung. Uh, but Jung was, um, as far as I remember, Campbell was uh, about um, the 1920s or so, if I remember right, from when Heroes of a Thousand Faces was published, 20s or 30s. Um, and it was... 
kind mm-hmm. of pulling from an awful lot of Freud's Jung bits and pieces. Jung, Jung and Jung it. was yeah. Jung was a little bit prior to that by a decade or two, mm-hmm. if I remember from when his work started to come out. His, he was sort of ter- just after the turn of the century. Hero with a Thousand Faces in 1949. Oh, 1949. Okay. My yeah, I was about to say, I, yeah, Campbell's way yeah. older than Jung. Um, yeah. And uh, by a good 20-something years. And uh, okay. and Campbell outright states that Jung was a major inspiration for yes. a lot of the stuff. Or And if, and, yep. and also they tended to read a lot of the same shit. So. Yeah. Um, yep. That's so, fair enough. Uh, and it, it will serve you well in the first half of life. I also took to mean of the idea of war is a young man's game mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Just the case of if you're going to, if you're going to use the sword, then it serves you better when you are young. Yeah. Just simply for well, something fairly simple. Well, their qu- the the heroes' quests have not ended when they put down their swords. The transition to the second phase is marked by a sudden tension, a stressful urge to find satisfaction in a way they've never understood. Men and yep. women in the real world often experience a sensation called a midlife crisis, and this is exactly what Jung was explaining. Yep, it's an existential crisis, a crisis of existence. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What is life for? Why did I do? Why did I accomplish all these things? What? What? Wh- why? What? What was it for? You know. Yeah. Um, it's the uh, you know uh, is it Talking Heads? Uh, uh, you may find yourself with a, a beautiful house and a beautiful wife, and you may say to yourself, "My God, how did I get here?" <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, some Elder Scrolls cultures, such as the Orsimer, seem to interpret this transition in their lives as a near, as the nearness yes. of death. The orc Umbra in Morrowind asks for an honorable death after he has grown tired of a life of, of adventure and victory. Clearly, the transition to the second half of life is not setting, setting, settling well with this character. No. And there's the old orc in Skyrim who's exactly mm-hmm. the same. It's exactly kind of, same. I'm, in, I'm in my prime. I must die. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's only going to be downhill from here, and that's unacceptable. Yes. Uh, Alistair Crowley, there's another thing to check off. Compa- sometimes compared <laughs> a developed intellect to the use of the sword. Hey, there's Felix. Hey. Hello. Does Felix have Hi. a local recording hey. going? Uh, oh, no, I think sorry, his... I just got here because the power came on and I'm <laughs> playing catch up. <laughs> okay, uh, well, you don't have too far to catch up. We're about two sentences in. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Which, which means right. that, that I've been talking for the last half an hour. <laughs> hey, all yes. right. What what yes. else is new about this stream? Yeah. Hey. I was I was right. willing to. Um, I was also kind of going to try and move it on to the name one dynasty that knows this not. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that again go, that goes back to the idea of the the sword being used to establish a new dynasty. Generally, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare you will get a peaceful transition between dynasties, anyway. But it's also going back to the whole idea of the of the of the sword being something that defines things that cuts yes, thing, cuts that things cuts, out, which I was getting yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. right, so, so that's also a good thing to start on because the divine sword is now yes. I've officially started the actual recording of like the the local recording oh, okay. yes. so that's where you can can yeah. use that as like the divine sword which felix just thrust himself into the conversation <laughs> um yeah and i'm really hoping that if anyone's playing bingo they can absolutely get this as someone who's late showing yep. up <laughs> yeah. chat's already talking about it yes um, <laughs> okay the, see that thank you chatters so we 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 see and salute you um <laughs> So this is so. Th- oh, uh, sorry. Well, I, I was going to say. Want to actually talk about the divine sword for a hot second, though? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, j- just just real quick. Um, there are various uh, examples in the real world of a divine sword or some kind of divine weapon. 
mm-hmm. which usually serves as a very poor metaphor for <laughs> godly power. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Um, so, you know, like I- I'm sure in the ancient caveman days, they would have had, ah, yes, the, the holy stone of unending or something it's like, you know, a magical stone that mm-hmm. killed people. Um, but you see this in, in a lot of uh, what we're kind of also talking about Joseph Campbell and, and the hero with a thousand faces. Um, look at, for example, Rama being able to string up an impossible golden bow. Uh, yes. See that also reflected in the story of Odysseus when he comes back and he knows that his wife is having to entertain all these awful suitors. And Odysseus is like, I'm going to be very extra and just show up and take back my kingdom and be a total drama queen because that's who I am. My name is Odysseus. Uh, and so he manages to actually string up this bow and performs all the magical challenges. Oh, look at that. Right. So. It's it's usually a metaphor for you know godly power, d- divine right to rule, all right. this kind of kind of stuff. Um, and then as a completely unrelated tangent, the U.S. Air Force has an official sword. It's tacky as hell looking. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there we go. That's my little mini mini rant. Well, you saw <laughs> the 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 sword that they uh, that the king held for uh, the uh, um the crown crowning ceremony the or coronation coronation I, like a couple weeks ago <laughs> uh, i i watched it because i was curious to see all the bling and uh <clears throat> stolen from half the world baby yep and well but the sword is handmade every coronation it's a different sword ah and uh and it is absolutely the most useless and gaudy excuse for a sword that you've ever seen there's no blade it's all jewels and it's just it's uh, just unbelievably tacky. And uh, because it's a symbol, did the king make it? What do you think? <laughs> did the king make it? Um, you think that man with his sausage fingers could have made such a weapon? Yeah. Like, no. Terry Pratchett made the sword that he was knighted with. Yes, out, out of meteorite. Cool. Out of uh, out of a meteorite. Um, yes. The that's yes. Thank you, Yagni's right right there with me. <laughs> um so uh so anyway yeah. so so and he Crowley, made it out of meteoric iron as well mm-hmm. so that's even cooler so crowley uh says that uh um uh, a developed intellect is similar to the use of a sword specifically in terms of discernment it's the ability to identify the separation of things we were talking earlier about how the first half of your life is spent building up the uh the structure of the ego and discerning yourself from other people uh, this, mm-hmm. of course, serves everyone very early in life, since the ability to distinguish individual objects that are not oneself is a fundamental part of an infant's brain development. Thus, in early life, we must discover I am separate from other things, but later in life, as a requisite part of spiritual progression, we must discover that I am part of everything. We cannot do the latter without first doing the former, even if the former seems to inhibit the realization of the latter. But the true secret of the sword is this, that the cutting that allows us to separate ourselves early in life is the same cutting that allows us to strip away our sense of ego to reach a true sense of ourselves and our connections to everyone else. That's all from one sentence. Okay, so. Okay, well, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of what the uh, the sort of the. Uh, oh, hey, great. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of the. A a psychoanalytical metaphor for the sword, and it's uh, in Crowley's deck. I think the sword suit is uh, a lot of similar kind of ideas. 
I, I want to see this. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Yeah, it's completely useless. There's no blade to speak of whatsoever. It's very light so that the king could hold it. Because well, in fairness, I, is that is that not the, just the scabbard that's presented there, or no, is that the actual blade? I'm I'm I, I was reading that that was the actual sword. Um, oh my word! When, if you watch the uh, the marching ceremony up to it, they actually yeah. the woman who's supposedly holding the sword to present to the king is not holding a sword at all. She's holding a completely different thing that's supposed to be like representative of the sword, and it's huge. <laughs> um and again looks nothing like an actual sword. Uh and um uh, yeah, it, I I watched the yeah. ceremony as long as I could before I started to get really really offended. <laughs> like at, 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 at the uh at at the the um it stopped it stopped being pageantry and it started turning into excess and then I I just started getting really angry and I just turned it off. <laughs> um yeah. No, I I I, tr- I looked for some photos, and I was basically saying, "Were well, was there was there any photos of Prince Andrew actually smiling?" Because oh. mm, mm, yeah, yeah. mm. he he doesn't like to be in public since he's been accused of various forms of pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Queen looked like she was really it was really landing on her when they actually put the the crown on her head. That woman nearly broke down, and I was like, "Good for her, man. Just keeping it afloat, you know, at all is probably a." herculean feet so i was mm. i i felt she's, very sympathetic to her and she's yeah. been after that job for like decades yeah. i was like you know what <laughs> yeah fair enough she's like fucking finally yeah, yeah. i'm about to go all lady <laughs> i'm, I'm a geriatric bitch. but i'm finally queen yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah hey how many people get to just... see that <laughs> i'm finally yeah. queen yeah yeah along along with the headlines of um i mean short shortly following um elizabeth second dying um, the headlines in private eye was 70 year old man finally gets job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh. Yeah, that was good. Um, but the hey, witch, right. Yes. Are, are we supposed to be an Elder Scrolls? Yes. <laughs> we are supposed to be an Elder Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. A casual um, Elder Scrolls podcast. Yeah. Well, we, we, we're going to talk a lot more about swords in a minute because uh, yeah. one of the other things that I wanted to mention is something that I've been looking into, which is a, it was an observation made by a YouTuber without any actual resolution, which was that um, in um, Japanese mythology and uh, fiction in general, um, there are a lot of very famous swords that have names. Um, And uh, some of them are more famous than the warriors who wielded them. Yep. And in Chinese mythology and fiction, the opposite is true. There are very few named swords. Mm. Green Destiny, everybody knows from um, uh, Crouching Tiger and Dragon, yep. is one of the few exceptions. Uh, generally speaking, in Chinese fiction, uh, so, uh, heroes do not use swords or weapons with names. And if they do, they've named them because it's their favorite weapon of some kind. But the weapon itself carries very little. Um, you know, things. And, yeah. uh, um, and one of the things that I've been trying to do some research into and failing horribly is why this is. What is it about mm. Japanese martial culture that emphasizes the weapon more than the one who wields it? Or am I going about this the wrong way? And that it's not emphasizing the weapon, it's de emphasizing the warrior. Yes. Um, it's also possibly a commentary on 
at quite how long um quite the general quality of swords in Japan because it's fairly it's fairly <laughs> common knowledge that yeah. uh that the reason that they came up with the elaborate having to <clears throat> spend a year to make a sword and folding them folding the metal however many hundreds of times yeah. was because the iron they were working with was absolutely terrible mm-hmm. and so it couldn't hold an edge it couldn't do anything yeah. and so you had to work it really hard you had to be really elaborate in order to get a decent weapon out of it and so and so my immediate thought is that if a weapon is good enough that it can be passed from warrior to warrior it's really 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 exceptional yeah whereas in mm-hmm. china they didn't have that problem not so much and yeah. so and so having weapons that were passed on in some capacity or other was not an unusual thing and that's and so not um, worth noting that's something you're going to want to keep in mind when we're talking about the sword as a symbol in elder scrolls lore is which in, where is it? Is Elder Scrolls de- deriving their inspiration from? Is it from the Japanese empowered weapon or the Chinese empowered warrior? You know, mm, um, it's kind of <clears throat> questionable. But as you yep. sort of said, that this is um, based a bit on um, based a bit on Journey to the West. Mm-hmm. Then you would you think Chinese. use Chinese, yes. Mm-hmm. But if we're going with general geek culture of the time um japanese was japanese. more well known be weeb. so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, it will be weeb culture that you go on rather than knowing chinese literature and in that respect what are we going to get in elder scrolls 6 and i can almost guarantee you it's going to be magical weapons and less skill yeah. but i mean because because <laughs> itemization and reward loops um and no, please, please don't remind me how much i'm going to be probably disappointed know, by that especially since they haven't consulted me yet be like Hey, we understand you're a huge Elder Scrolls fan, especially about Red Guard. So, would you like to, you know, add a little something? This, and I'd be this, like, "Sure, Todd Howard, anything for you, bestie." Like, buddy, come yeah. on. The hundreds of millions uh, of dollars that we're spending on this is mostly to make you happy. So, yeah. <laughs> if only. Uh, so uh, the unity of my approach is understood by the Immobile Warrior. Um. Yeah, I I originally was thinking this had something to do with like a meditative warrior, Um, a a warrior of accomplishment who lives the first half of his life may only be at a moment of rest and reflection away from the realization that will send him into the second half of his life. When a warrior stops all movement and considers his nature and his relationship to the world around him, it can sometimes result in that fateful moment of introspective awareness. Um, So I thought we were reading from the lesson for a second. I was like, wait a second. Second, I don't remember that being in there. That, that, that's, that's making too much sense to be yeah. in, the, in the lessons. <laughs> this seems a little wordy. The, yeah. There is also the idea evoked. Oh, we by have a bingo. Hey, there's. I, hey. All right. well done, Tor. There's also the idea evoked by and fortification. Now that's my cue to leave. Which is to suggest, which which I'd suggest should remind you of the image of an armored warrior. What is interesting to contemplate is here is the idea of Vec actually wavering whilst donning her cancer her cancerian armor in Sermon 19, where the provisional house is built but this time with fear. Um, or I would go along the lines of just it, the immobile warrior is a warrior who has stopped being a warrior. And mm-hmm. it's a case of a warrior that a warrior that is mobile. My mind immediately goes to statues. And mm-hmm. so you think, sort of think history and it kind of, it's a foreshadowing of later, much later, my reign will be remember, um, be seen as an act greatest of, act of love. Yeah, it's I, kind of, yeah. His, yeah, it's history will vindicate <clears throat> me. So, True eyes are required. Rejoices my own subjects and realms. I built for you a city of swords, by which I mean laws that cut people who live there into better shapes. And here we are at this thing again. 
Yay. Um, the idea of Vivek City being a place where Vivek can culturally shape the Dunmer once again brings us back to, the, to this reinforcing idea of Vivek having a golden path, a plan for the Dunmer in, go, moving into the future, a sort of uh, Frank Herbert-esque um, idea of uh, when Dune away from... Oh, hey. Hi, Yagni. Yes, Yagni, <laughs> you just the perfect timing. <laughs> uh, that, let me open up the Twitch chat. That would be a good idea. Uh, and, and so, yeah, the idea is that it's... Uh, um, is that Vivek has a plan for the Dunmer to defend them against a great oncoming mysterious evil and that Vivek City is there to cut them into better shapes to make them better suited for this eventual catastrophe, which I would argue is Vivek. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, because Z just drops a whole fucking planet on, uh, or, or asteroid on him. And, yes, uh, I, I think it's kind of notable here that it's talking about the city of swords, and it's the city that's cutting you into a different, a better, a better shape. Right. Not just, and it's not just a Morrowind thing. It's a Vivek city thing specifically, mm -hmm. specifically Vivek city. So, because yeah. again, as Vivek tells us in a previous, in a previous or later sermon, it, Vivek is the city. Yes, twenty-five. I think it is. Um, which we'll get into. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not looking forward yeah. to that one. Um, ha. So, uh, uh, better shape. So, okay. So, uh, Vivek intends to create a place where the people of Veloth can become better people. Uh, this is, uh, Vivek describes herself later in, or in other places as the, uh, killer of the weeds of Veloth. Oh, in Sermon 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this sort of, uh, also explains Vivek's idea of what love is, uh, of, of, um, of, of trying to improve people. Uh, out of a, a sense of love, um, hanging asteroids over cities is not it's not OSHA compliant. No, it is not. No. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so girls burn their dresses on my arrival. If I am armored, they crawl to me as bled pilgrims. I think we all know where this is coming from, right? This is just yeah. bled bled pilgrims would be virgins. Yes. Um, Minor spirits die without trace. Follow me of all the Almsavi if you are to mark your days with killing A. Altadun, the third law of weaponry. All right, so. Um, A. Altadun translates from Elnofex to roughly, I am a useful weapon, but I do mean very roughly. The yes. It, well, it, it, does, it doesn't even mean useful as such, but it just, it just is weapon. Yeah, it was a useful tool, I think, was the way that it was explained to me, is I, I'm a yeah. useful, uh, Altadun is a useful tool. Yeah, Johnny, exactly. It's, 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 this is Vivek basically saying, I'm really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, Which, yeah. he, and you're just going to have to take my word for it, bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'm a god, I know. <laughs> I know all kinds <laughs> of things, so, yeah. yeah. Um, if the third law of weaponry is possibly just one of many laws, but we don't have any other ones. There's no first or no. second law of weaponry that we've been given. It's very possible yeah. that they are Vivek-themed equivalent to Sothisil's law of gears, but I can't really put that together. I can't. I've, I've yeah, tried. We've not got. We've not got the pieces. Well, uh, and also the um, the gear, uh, 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 the uh, winding of the gears is something that we're going to have to cover probably, uh, and it's going to be a community effort because yep. um, there haven't been any like you know, silver bullets of, Hey, a lot of this is quotes from Aleister Crowley that got the ball rolling, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, we might have to actually fucking bribe Tuttle. <laughs> <laughs> um, the immobile warrior is never fatigued. Of course not. He doesn't move. 
I mean, I, would you, you need a comment for that? Come on. Um, no. He, and he cuts. Okay. Yeah. And it's also pausing. So, yes. Yeah, true. Um, he cuts sleep holes in the middle of a battle to regain his strength. Okay. Yes. I remember discourse about this back in the day. Yeah. Metaphysics ah. of Morrowind was the article that got me into Elder Scrolls lore. I cannot divorce my brain completely from it. I can't. So that's fair. The author's suggestion that this is a that this is a a, a sort of a, an i the uh, the idea of saving your game in the middle of a fight, or, um, or like pausing it to open up the inventory to like consume fifty cheese wheels, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, or or you know, no, or just potions. Given that this is Elder Scrolls Three, true. Uh, and, but this or, is or diamonds or diamonds, yeah. <laughs> or just crunch a bunch of like a bunch of fucking rocks. My yeah. bitch is bad and bougie. Yeah, yeah. You know, like oh look, Dwemer metal. Put it in my mouth. Ah. Um, Warwood was such an objectively horrifying game. Objectively horrifying. What the hell was it? Was the Nereverine's teeth made of? For the love of shit. <laughs> it's mine now. I've licked it. Yeah. It, it was. It was the teeth of the world that you see at the end of ocean's memory Boom. or is it is it like uh is it like that dave Chappelle sketch where it's like this is a this is a bunch of diamond powder i'm not i i, I take bites of it every time i walk past i know it's bad for you but what can i say it makes my doo-doo sparkle baby um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> uh all right so um uh uh, a metaphor for saving your game during combat. Uh, the immobile warrior is the player who sits behind, unmoving behind his controls while his avatar fights. This is a great interpretation and it's so good that I honestly can't get it out of my head. But all right, um, yeah. If if that's if that's the case, what does that mean for the unity of my approach? Is understood by the immobile warrior because the player generally doesn't understand the thirty-six lessons. No, not at all. Uh, well, so how does that work? I got into that. Um, it's my suspicion that this is a reference to a Zen-like state of meditation during combat, a trance not oh. unlike the one dervishes experience while conducting their whirling dance. Remember the whirling school? Yeah, the, um, yeah, general flow state stuff. So perhaps the lack of movement in the immobile warrior is actually just the percep- perception of the practitioner. The, mo- the warrior does not move. The whole world moves around him. Ah. Uh, right? Yeah. Um, it's also possible that the immobile warrior could be creating tiny moments while fighting during which they can recover their strength, a feat it's, made possible by moving so little that there appears to be no movement at all. This it's also of- the case that if if the, if it's the idea of the immobile warrior is um, the if the world is moving around them, the immobile warrior is the most powerful warrior possible because the, the warrior is the one that's moving the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exactly it's the whole world rolls around power. them. Yeah, and um. You can go into all kinds of like the Japanese principles of swordsmanship where mm. um, the warrior is, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the enemy is irrelevant in, in some schools of, uh, of uh, swordsmanship, of, 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 of uh, warrior philosophy in Japan. The enemy is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what weapon they're using. None of that shit matters. The only thing that matters is you and how you react to stimulus, basically. Um, Which actually brings us to the fifth really nicely. hmm? The fifth? Well, like the the next one down. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to it. Um, uh, (laughs) I'm saying that would have been like a great segue. Not done chewing on this. Uh, Uh, or am I actually also yeah no, that's fine um, yes let's do the fifth uh, instinct is not a reflex action but many miracles held in reserve 
it's, so instinct is something that once was once said to separate man from animal in the respect that a man can fight his instincts while the animal cannot. Uh, mm. If you haven't checked off Dune already, here's another one for you. Um, the Gomjabar determines if a if the uh, if uh, um, if the uh, uh, the person who is being oh, tested is a human or not. Yes. Um, if you're an animal, you pull your hand out from the box because you cannot control your instincts. Um, this is outdated thinking since we now have scientific evidence that both assertions are untrue. Mm-hmm. But from a metaphysics standpoint, instinct can be considered to be the communication of the divine inner self to the conscious ego transmitted via emotion and involuntary action. Any communication between the mortal and the divine can also be considered to be a miracle. So more so because acting with, with instinct is acting without thought or ego. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also uh, a note here that I didn't <laughs> add in, uh, that I probably should have, which is the idea of there's an idea in Qigong and in uh, Chinese martial arts of uh, uh, learning how to react uh, with your body and not your brain. So that yes. it, this is this is somewhat related to Zen uh, states in Japanese sword fighting, uh, and. It was speculated at one point or another that what was happening was that the uh, that this is basically a the sort of Chinese equivalent of really intense military training in the United States, where they're training soldiers to react to a situation in combat without thinking about it. Yep. So when when somebody grabs a soldier, they you know do you know do a thing and put them into a lock or pull a weapon or do whatever. And they don't think about doing it because it's been so heavily trained into them that it becomes what I think was at the time called a spinal reaction. The reflex happens in the spinal cord and never enters or, or and doesn't actually enter the brain until after the action has been taken. So you realize your body has done a thing after you've done it or while you're doing it. Which is really bad for PTSD. Yeah, terrible for PTSD and an awful thing to do to people in general. <laughs> yes. But it well, is yeah, related uh, to like, it. Well, it's but but it's not necessarily that bad because it is related to the, the instinct to pull your hand out of a fire. If you suddenly re- uh, feel like your hand is hot, mm-hmm. you know, well, I can also offer like an actual kind of example of this where like, you know, sort of instincts take over is um, a, a then buddy of mine at the time uh, was was trying to jokingly saying there's no way you could tell from like where someone's head is going to be if like i took you out mm-hmm. from behind and, and i said because i had like this little knife at the time i said no i would honestly just like probably just like stab wherever someone yeah. like if i had a knife on me i would just try and, and stab him and then at some point he'd like like without warning just came from behind me it's like where am i and like i could immediately tell like oh i'm being choked the person's right here and it was like almost immediate of like knife comes out and like reaching towards that and only then after i had already like made contact with part of his face Mm -hmm. did i realize wait no wait hang on i know that voice but like it was just so instinctual of like someone's doing this so i know Mm -hmm. to do this Mm -hmm. it was like oh wait Mm -hmm. shit no and he already had a bit of a cut thankfully yeah i know thankfully Mm -hmm. i didn't uh seriously hurt him but yeah Yeah. he was very upset with me afterwards and understandably but at the same time it's like well, but, dude, but why I the fuck are you, you grabbing people? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, and it was also like, dude, I told you that, A, I would know how to, like, identify that and find mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. And B, 
be like that I had a knife on me. It's not like, you know, you did this some other time when I didn't have a weapon on me. Like what yeah. what like yeah, you could have picked this up is as spot. much your fault as mine, okay? Like <laughs> um and that's so uh, so yeah, that that's the uh, like a, a, yeah. it's an actual thing, people. This isn't, you know, oh super soldiers like it, it can be a thing. Yeah. Yes. It's, I'd also say that it's also I, I don't know whether we're um just kind of spiraling massively off a point given this is talk talking about enlightenment and I'm about to go into evolution. Yeah, why up now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's true. a metaphor in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh but um in, instinct instinct being mini miracles. Um I almost think of that as being something that is just happenstance because you think about how evolution is supposed to work that it selects for um, yes. for random instances where such a thing happens as opposed to the thing that kills you quicker. Mm-hmm. Um so if you have um if you have enough people who have the who have the instinct uh, who have the, the mutation rea- have the reaction mm-hmm. uh, to do um to do thing A which um which is punch whatever's trying to kill you in the face automatically sure. mm-hmm. or or to jump away from the thing like um that that when those sorts of things do come through after however many millions of iterations um and and so on that your bundle of instincts is essentially based on the past happenstance and we already established that coincidence does not exist in the land of the Velofi. um so it's the it's the happenstances which allowed your ancestors to survive and allowed them to develop certain um certain tendencies and skill sets which then become part of you and part of the fabric of you and so if we're going to link that to um if we if we're going to link that whole idea to um coincidence not being a thing then it it can be nothing but miracles if god is training you to be in such a way because they they've cut away your ancestors that don't do something like that exactly and then it, you become bred for that in a very real sense <laughs> god <laughs> it's a yeah mm. <laughs> no, I, it's an I, insidious I, idea but there it is yeah yes well, well, I mean, what is not Elder Scrolls lore, but the deep evaluation of numerous insidious ideas? I mean, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. Um, it's called the arena. With that, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with it's, it's all bloodshed, baby. Yeah. Uh, it's all violence. Reach heaven through violence. Um, with that being said, though, about uh, many miracles held in reserve, like as as a point, is I do actually really like that idea of you know instinct as a kind of mini miraculous moment it's not necessarily luck luck is different from a miracle like and i think that's actually part later on in the fifth line yeah uh, i am the welfare that decides which warrior will emerge beg not for luck serve me to win and that that, that kind of gives off a bit of like yoda and the force fives of do or do not there is no try reach out with your feelings you know like trust trust the force trust your instincts it's not about rationality and it's just like you know it's 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 pure fucking vibes man is really what it's saying um but when when you actually do a lot of martial arts training and stuff that that that's part of why they do the training like a thousand times and there's that maxim of don't fear the master who's practiced a thousand moves one time fear the guy who's practiced one move a thousand times Mm -hmm. because he's not going to get it wrong yeah uh so so that idea of you know you just like constant training you you know the forms and then when you're like sparring with someone you may start off really slow and then oh look 
a year later, you're all practically moving at the speed of light and you're matching each other perfectly and not like managing to land hits because you've been practicing mm-hmm. so much. And and that's kind of like all that training paying off. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a neat, fun concept to, to think about that has some real world applications. Jim should be as effortless as scratching your head. That's actually there's a Buddhist yeah. story about exactly yeah. that. Yeah. About uh, enlightenment is the act of a is like the act of a child scratching their foot. Yeah. Um. Uh. So okay. So I am the welfare that decides which warrior will emerge. Beg not for luck, serve me to win. This is again coincidence doesn't exist. So yep. Um. Yep. So Vivek's basically saying, pray, pray to me, uh, if you want to win, because uh, that's the literally the only way to do it. Um, Hashtag winners only. These, yes, which is also I, I, which is also something that's interesting because um, it's talking they're talking about a warrior culture as opposed to mm-hmm. soldier culture, right? Because uh, warriors uh, they do have the skill to determine it in in most cultures where warriors are a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just thinking about Morrowind as kind of a pre-gun culture, so to speak, because okay. because you can. Um, uh, I can see Felix frowning. Just bear with me. Uh, no, that, no, that was that was a tech yeah. thing that was happening. Mm. Uh, Don't okay. worry about it. <laughs> cool. Uh, that basically because firearms makes death so random, it's all about kind of self-preservation and first and foremost, rather than necessarily skill at arms being the primary skill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but warriors, they need to master their their own weapon in order to win because that's the way you survive. It's not. It's um. It's a very very different kind of mode of thinking, and it's also again the assignation of everything to Vivek. It's not the case that the warrior can survive on their own merits. It's the case that the warrior needs to, um, needs to rely on Vivek to win. And I d- I personally think that because of that sort of logic, the luck line is a little bit out of place, because yeah, you can think about sort of ha- um sort of chances where your opponent slips on mud or something on the ground or bl- or blood or whatever um mm-hmm. in a in a pre-gun <clears throat> society where and they make a mistake but if you have two if you have two warriors on relatively equal footing it's the skill that decides it not luck so right. i'm thinking that vivek is again puffing themselves up a little bit too much sure. but <laughs> that's yeah. absolutely part it's of the lord course of the middle point. air so yeah <laughs> he's full of it yeah, yeah. um so the span of the apparently inactivated is your love for the absolute. This is uh, a, a wordy sort of way of saying this is the lifetime of something that was never started in the first place. A love of the absolute is pointless, insignificant, and self-defeating. Vivek's always argued this when it's yep. all over the 36th lesson. Yeah. Uh, the birth of God from the Netriman's wife is the abortion of kindness mm-hmm. from love. This is a, uh, I believe, an, a, a very, cl- very, simply very close to Aleister Crowley or a quote from him. Um, this is the idea when when Aleister Crowley likes to define what love is in his culty terminology. <laughs> um, uh, love is very much sort of a uh, um, tough but fair. I think is the. Uh, uh, is kind of the rule. Um, uh, people in the OTO have leveraged this philosophy on occasion as an excuse to be indifferent to the suffering of other human beings. Um, that's been my my experience reading a number of articles written by uh, practicing uh, members. Um, 
I don't think they speak for the majority, but uh, it is concerning nonetheless that um, that people would sort of lose perspective about this. But I mean, uh, these sort of fringe philosophies uh, tend to be embraced by people who are trying to find a reason to be sociopaths. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't disagree. Um, But if I could offer a more Canadian perspective on this about the difference about kindness from love uh is um, lot. there's a maxim at least to a certain extent up here about the difference between being kind and being nice. So Mm. people can be nice to you, but not actually very helpful. Oh, sure. You know, someone someone Mm -hmm. could be like, Oh no, sorry. I can't, I don't know. Sorry. Best of luck. And that could very much be a lie. And they're just not even willing or able to help you because they're too busy. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like the Maritimer mother from new Glasgow, Nova Scotia, who's like, Jesus, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. gone for Mm-mm. two hours. We were worried, sick. Oh, geez, oh, you're you're soaking wet because I, you know, I told you to take your towel quick. You yeah. know, come here by the fire, get to yeah. dry it up. God, you're, don't you're have so two cents in your head to rub together. Some, <laughs> have some soup, and it's like you know, yeah. you're getting chastised, but it's also lots of actual mm-hmm. kindness being shown your way, mm-hmm. as opposed to niceness mm-hmm. or is it? So there's that distinction there. Yeah, yeah, and so the idea of um, the birth of god from the netcherman's wife is the abortion of kindness from love is yeah you know what guess what we're all timer dunmer we understand hardship it's kind of why we undertook this mm-hmm. like undertook Belos journey and endeavor mm-hmm. in the first goddamn place mm-hmm. so no love is not going to be kind love is not kindness or niceness love is love and the sooner yeah. you understand that in all aspects of that the sooner you can get to my quote-unquote level but why is the word abortion used here? Because if I'm just thinking of the way that the way that Felix is talking about it is kind of the separation from where divorce would be a more appropriate word, right? But abortion so, being the idea so that why it was, is, yeah, yeah, it was it was a part of of love, and then kindness was removed forcibly from it. It's again, it's it's mm. Crowley. It's a, uh, it's, a okay. it's a phrase that Crowley used because Crowley likes to use words that piss people off. Um, <laughs> uh, the original Edge Lord. Yeah. Uh, well, mm. he was he was very frustrated uh, as a as a as a young man. Um. So uh, the true sword is able to cut the chains of generations, which is to say, the creation myths of your enemies. Um. I kind of drew a, a parallel here between uh this and the uh and Reverend's Razor in Oblivion, and the way mm-hmm. Mankar Cameron rewrote his Nimic. Um. Uh, at its base, the intellectual sword is built from its foundations as a child learning within its family, within its village, within its city state, within its country, within its continent, within its planet. Uh, all throughout time, they, these are the heaviest and earliest changes to hereditary identity that must be overcome to sacrifice to become without identity or rather to be identified as all. Yes, and you can also just essentially use the sword to wipe out another culture and thereby destroy their myths and their identity it's a it's a, um it's also a suggestion of the sword as instrument of genocide um in some way in some way shape or form oh yeah did just pointed something out about the abortion of kindness from love that yes it didn't occur to me and i don't I'm, i apologize for because now that he points it out it's fucking obvious the birth of god from the netchman's wife is the abortion of kindness from love so the idea that so so we're we're contrasting the birth of God, uh, in other words, Vivek or possibly yes. Omsibi, is the abortion of kindness from love. So as as 
as Vivek was birthed from the Netriman's wife, um, the reverse was done to kindness. It was done to love. See, that's the that's that's why the the phrase abortion comes in. Mm. That's why the word abortion is being used because it it's being it's being connected to the birth of Vivek. It also so, suggests it wasn't live in the first instance. Yeah. In its own right. Mm, yeah. It's art. Um, mm. Look on me as the exiled garden. All else is uncut weed. Okay, so... Smoke them if you got them. Jung yeah. is the, uh, in the Red Book explains the experience of rejection. The torture by society of a rejected soul feels like expulsion to the desert. This is a, a, the desert being a symbol that Jung used uh, a lot. <laughs> Mm. The metaphor is used to explain the importance of being of feeling accepted by the people around you. As Jung says, no culture of the mind is enough to make a garden out of your soul. Though Vivek is ex- exiled to the desert, Z does not feel the scorn of others. Therefore, Z forms a, found, a, be- a bountiful garden in the midst of exile, strange flowering fruit in this desert of scorn, a lotus flower blooming among filth. And perhaps Vivek is also testifying to her dreadful past of crime and chaos. I've experienced the worst of society, but now I lead it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, eighth, I give you an ancient road tempered by the second walking way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is like of all the like examples of the six walking ways and thirty six lessons. This is kind of one of the more obvious ones. Um, it 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 seems to read about you know uh, becoming a god or reaching heaven by um, destroying the uh, uh, the the weeds from your garden or, you know, uh, removing all the uh, 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 practicing Vivek's idea of love, living in Vivek City and evolving and becoming, a, you know, meaner and sleeker and, you know, stronger and etc. Um, I asked Kirkbride about this on IRC once directly. I was like, just describe the second walking way. And he said, it's defeating any enemy that sits in front of you. Um, and what he was doing, I think was, uh, it, 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 we'll actually get into that a little bit later in the next two sentences, but what I think he was doing is he was kind of giving me a piece of information that this sermon doesn't really hand out to you, which is the idea of self, of, 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 uh, of, of defeating yourself of, uh, um, there's, so there's a, uh, uh, the idea of like the progression of the sword in Chinese swordsmanship, which is that the the first level, of, see if I get this right, is that the uh, a swordsman um, feels no separation between his body and his sword, so his so they're so they become one sort of. It's an extension um, of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The second level is that the sword becomes irrelevant and can be cast aside, and the swordsman can make a sword out of anything, like a blade of grass. Um, the third is that the, uh, is that the sword becomes one with the swordsman so that they no longer need to manifest, to use anything to be a sword, that the swordsman becomes the sword themselves. And the fourth stage, the last stage is the idea of the swordsman removing, uh, then removing himself from everything, the removal of the swordsman. So you've Mm -hmm. removed the sword in various stages and then you remove the swordsman. And this can be that this, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, the fourth, the fourth step is supposed to be that the swordsman 
puts down the sword, stops fighting, stops practicing violence, and instead teaches. Um, and uh, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think what was happening here is that we were talking about the idea of uh, something in psychoanalysis about defeating yourself and um, becoming a, uh, uh, a gaining victory over your own darkness, your own, your, 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 you've done enough shadow work so that you are no longer, um, you know, uh, self-defeating uh, the, 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 the things that, uh, hold you back from greatness have been eliminated. Um, that said, I'm moderately sceptical. If if Kirkbride's explanation was <laughs> being able to defeat anything that's in front of you, are mm-hmm. you ever in front of yourself? That's, I mean, that's the idea. Beyond is that, puns with mirrors, right? Well, that, well, but that's the idea. Is that eventually, once you've defeated all the enemies that life has put in front of you, the only mm-hmm. enemy left to defeat is yourself. Yeah, and that once that has been done, you have removed. All the obstacles in front of you, including the obstacles you put there. Mm-hmm. And then th- at that point, you have reached heaven or become divine or something. Um, okay. So your hands must be huge to wield any sword the we, size of an ancient rope. Be- before we get any further, mm-hmm. um, we have a question from Yagni that, oh. um, yeah, does the... The gardener um, of man. The, yeah. Her, yes. d- does this have connect in any way to Hermaeus Mora's position as a gardener of man? This is um, Her- Hermaeus Mora... Her- Hermaeus Mora his name translates to uh, the gardener of mankind. Um, uh, does it? I think. Uh, Mor- is it? No, Mora is the, is the man of the woods. That's what it was. Yeah, um, man of woods. But Hermes Mora is called the gardener of man. And I, I have to tell you, I, I, I do agree that um, if just the phrase alone, gardener of man, seems to sound like a, a uh, somebody who is trying to improve mankind. Um, that historically has not been the case with Hermes Mora. No. Uh, so I don't know how appropriate that would be <laughs> for Hermes Mora. Um, a, a different Daedric Prince, maybe, but not, I don't know, not Hermes Mora. I, I don't think that title fits Hermes Mora very effectively, unless the gardener is a son of a bitch. Which, <laughs> you know. Well, I um, see it more in the or, sense of um, being a gardener of men of tending to things so that you can then harvest them for your own pleasure and delight. Yes. Or perhaps um, in the respect that a gardener catalogs and maintains plants. That too. Hermaeus Moore yes. could be gardening, you know, knowledge and culture of man possible. Um, mm. Occasionally grab somebody once. Sure. Yeah. That, that, that works, Draylon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, your hands must be huge to wield the size to wield any sword the size of an ancient road. Yet he who is of the right stature may irritate the sun only with a stick. Um, so uh, you know symbolism the size of one's hands frequently denotes like the amount of power that they have, or you know you're you're reading Galway porn. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, Felix got that right. joke. Demonetize. Um, I was uh, yeah. I yeah. was just got hope holding out for a Trump joke, but oh, yeah. okay, yeah, they're huge, the huge, perfectly huge, <laughs> the huge hands. Look at my hands, uh, they're huge. They're huge people, they're perfectly big. Um, so <laughs> while okay, so uh, along intellectual uh, avenues, huge hands might be a strong intellect schooled and developed among many or strongly in a single discipline. 
Uh, there's some fairly weak points that I bring up here. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you remember Sermon 11, you, of course, you'll realize you'll recall that Vivek takes a somewhat dim view of physical strength in the grand metaphysical scheme of things. The second walking way is a legitimate path to divinity, but this path means little in the presence of God. Your hands might be huge, but you must cut them both off before facing him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He who is of the right stature may irritate the sun only with a stick. That is, this is sort of like the idea of being so such a massive force that in order to poke at the sun, you just need a little stick because you're so because well, you're already all the way up there. So I see multiple ways of interpreting this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's 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 your way, which is like that's usually the first one I go to. But uh, I also get shades of Tall Papa, who you know grew so big he could place the stars in the sky. He uh, knocked the the hunger out of Step's mouth with a big stick. Yep. Um, it's references to the towers and to Magnus. It's like there's so much in one fucking sentence here. And that's part <laughs> of what I love and hate. About mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls lore, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I I do tend to to like all of those interpretations relatively equally um, because I I like the idea that um, and I mean you could also apply the the real world um, uh, quote that Teddy Roosevelt said of uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's there's lots of ways you can you can interpret this, um, but I do like the idea of all of them having a part to play in what it means to be of right stature. Um, sure. um like to, to, to be like, like not in, in the physical sense of like, you know, Oh yes. Shoulders, shoulders back, head up, you know, carry yourself with your head held high. Like that, that adds mm-hmm. to part of the metaphor of it, but it's like, that's kind of a more literal thing as opposed to, um, the, the stature of someone in the eyes of the public being a hero, a god. Like yeah. it's there's there's so many ways of, of interpreting this one fucking line. I hate it. Yeah. Stand <laughs> up straight with your shoulders back. I think mm-hmm. that was rule one, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, who, you gotta, who you gotta balance books I, on top of your head. That's I yeah. I know I, I can't I can't actually remember where that sits in Jordan Peterson's book, but it is in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Put so, your shoulders back. Head held high so everyone may see you cry. Yeah. Don't uh, look at the mess in your room. Head held high. Uh mm. so yeah. That's but, like I mean that's basically like uh, uh, the 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 walking ways don't re- aren't really supposed to be like a instruction manual on how to become unstoppable. Um no. but that so each one is sort of intentionally vague in that respect. Uh but a few of them like I think the 6 uh, are are relatively cut and dry. Figure out a way to combine souls, yes. and you're golden. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, but but this is yeah, this is one of the one of the ones that's a little more abstract. And yet, of all the walking ways, this one is the most approachable by regular people. Because yes. at the end of the day, this is just about being a badass, about being as good at being you as you can possibly get. Um. And that's that's kind of like this is sort of like the everyman's version of the walking ways. This is yeah. uh, although it's not quite that in relation to what's going on here, because the second walking way is the thing that tempers the ancient road. So it's not the ancient road in itself. It's not the sword of the ancient road. It's it's how you so, walk the ancient road. Uh, it's that's how the you way make I the interpret ancient it. Road. Yeah, that's how mm-hmm. I interpret it, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, it's it's how it's how you make the ancient road better and how you improve upon it. Vivek has already slaughtered a bunch of people so that mm. that so that so that here people can walk the road mm-hmm. and in whatever sh- in whatever way they see they need to and may guide them into wielding the road properly, which is one heck of an image. I mean, I kind of just have um kind of have an image of just kind of um, someone just having a huge rate slab of tarmac with white stripe down the middle. Uh, but um but hmm. if it's the if it's the road that's being that is the thing that's being wielded, that's I don't know whether we can link that to the path of the Dunma as such. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I may be approaching it from entirely the wrong way, which is likely given that this isn't really going anywhere. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's it's um uh, we, we've I've gotten some seemingly conflicting information about this, and so like a lot of this, uh, a uh, part of this project was me trying to make it all fit. <laughs> um, uh, okay, and I'm not entirely certain that the reason it's very possible that the reason why it seemed conflicting was because it was coming from different authors who weren't talking to each other. Ah, um, yeah, that'll be with that. So, uh, that's basically sermon twenty three. Not yes. that. But yeah, not 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 a huge amount to it. Um, sermon twenty four, uh, is uh oh, it's Horde Mountain. Yep, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh, it's Dick Hat. Yay! Mm-hmm. That's the one. All right, so we'll do twenty four in two weeks. Um. Yes. Yeah, this works out fine because I have guests next weekend. So that's terrific. Ooh. Um, so June 3rd, hopefully everybody yes. uh, oh, can geez, expect to see right. us then. Uh, yes. Congratulations to everybody who got bingo and you, you win yeah. nothing, but you know, you'll feel good about it, I guess, if you can. Yes. Find a way. Uh, and, a walking uh, way. Wink, thanks, wink. Hey, hey, hey. Ah. Uh, and thanks to everybody who uh, subbed and etc. And uh, that's a box. Okay. And um and <laughs> we'll see everybody in 2 weeks. Uh